You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and corporate media. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein, the good one. Today I'm talking with stand-up comedian and progressive video journalist Graham Elwood. Graham talks about how Steve Mnuchin stole his home, how Kamala Harris did nothing to stop it, and how the experience led him to speak truth to power, forever changing his comedy and career. All right, Graham Elwood, thank you for coming to New Jersey for this interview. Sure, man. Um, it's a long drive for one interview. I know, I know, especially <laughs> only 34 or 5 minutes, you know. Um, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm grateful you took the time for this. So you're at, at the uh, Minds presentation. Why don't you give a, a you know just a brief thing of why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. So and then uh, briefly talk about your conference today and the little controversy. And okay. Yeah. So I'm Graham Elwood, and I have a YouTube channel called The Political Vigilante. It's like a progressive, independent media channel. Maybe you've seen me on the Jimmy Dore Show or Aggressive Progressives on TYT. And um, so I was at the Minds event today, uh, which is, they're literally calling it Ending Racism, Violence, and Authoritarianism, uh, and Engage in Something Real. And so it's this event that likes to have people from all over the political spectrum, conservatives, liberals, and um, exchanging ideas. And there was a huge controversy because Andy and Gil is, is in it, was in it, and so there was a threat we're supposed to be at the Pittman Theater, or the Broadway Theater in Pittman, New Jersey, and um, a group they claim was Antifa. I don't know who, but they said Antifa threatened because it was too many right-wing fascists, in their view, on this event, and they threatened to uh, blow up or bomb or something like that the theater. So there was a lot of... I didn't know where the event was going to be held until this morning. We did it this afternoon. Um, and like, it was roughly in the same area? No, they moved it. They moved it from Pittman to Philly. We went. They, you were in Philly? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it was a very last-minute thing. And so... Um, yeah, it was it was it was crazy. But I'm I'm you know I was on this panel today about getting demonetized, um, with uh, you know several people who had had stuff demonetized. Most notably was um, this guy Rucka Rucka Ali, who's very sort of controversial. He's been demonetized crazy amounts of times. He's done videos. So yeah, it was it was a. Uh, it was a cool panel, and you know, he and I, all, all four of us were talking, and he and I even got into a debate about deregulation of banks. But it was a healthy, cool debate, and I'm so glad that it, you know, had Antifa or whoever this group was who made the threat been successful in shutting down the whole event, this debate never would have happened in a crowd that was largely libertarian conservative, by my estimation. They got to hear my. My left-leaning uh, anti-capitalist sentiment, and, and what was uh, like one of the major points that you feel like you got across well? Well, I got across like the cor- I think everyone was sort of in agreement that the corporations were. I'm not a fan of them, and he's all for just, his argument was the privatization is the key, and I and I just cited examples of why I don't agree with that, and and. Uh, you know, the banks are completely deregulated, and that's how the financial crisis happened, and 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 all of that. And many people came up afterwards, and they're like, "Hey, I don't agree with a lot of what you said, but man, I really appreciate you being here." Because I was sort of, I wasn't the lone lefty on the panel by any stretch, because there was uh, this guy um, Jeff, who's on TYT. I'm blanking on his last name. I'm going to look it up right now as I look up the. Um, it was uh, oh Jeff Waldorf. Um, and so it was really um, it was really it was really cool I'm glad I did it I, I had some hes- some hesitation going in but I'm glad I did it and, and we should be able to have discussions with other people from other points of view because I think on social media it becomes just a I'm right you're wrong scenario and that's not really helpful 
well, I'm glad it went well. I'm glad it wasn't canceled. I mean, I, I it sort of was obvious it wasn't going to be canceled because right. there was a lot of money involved. Yeah. People bought $150 tickets. And, yeah, there was a lot of money. And the yeah. place they moved it to, the Sugar Cane Casino, Sugar House, Sugar House Casino, it was great. They did a great oh, that's job. On, that's on uh, the water, I believe. Yeah. Okay. It was nice. Okay. Um, okay. So I want to talk about your for – we're going to do two subjects, your foreclosure and how that gets into politics and also your journalism and, and comedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, viewers, we're not going to go too in-depth – listeners, whatever. We're, going to, <laughs> we're not going to go too in-depth uh, on the foreclosure because he talks about it on his show and on Kim Iverson recently. I'm going to point to it. But do tell us you know, an overview of your foreclosure experience. And actually, can you emphasize – the timeline, the, like the years that it happened, yes. and because that's going to relate to the politics that we're going to talk Absolutely. about. Um, so just briefly, like uh, there were first there was a there were, I, I work in show business and I had hosted a bunch of TV shows, and there was a strike, a union strike, uh, and they, you know, Hollywood. That's when reality TV came up. Reality TV is all non-union. And yeah, I, I didn't register that until you said that on Kim Iverson. Yep. Yeah, it makes perfect Reality sense. TV is all non-union. I don't know if you realize that. Non-union writers, producers, everything. Um, and actually, just a quick aside, did you? I, I just learned. I, I believe it's true. All the shows where people end up with a house. They already own the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They already purchased the house. Yep. Yeah, most reality TV is completely it's, it's it's completely scripted. They they pick the villain and the good guy and the bad guy and this that that's all figured out ahead of time. So so the reason I bring that why that's relevant is I was having a hard time getting work all of a sudden. I had hosted three hundred episodes of T V. What year was this? Uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight going in so so I had a very good credit score and um, and then the recession hit my home lost 30 to 40 percent of its value and the banks I was starting to pay later and later in the month uh, and I you know they called me once and they're like you know you, you need to make a payment I was like all right you know I should be able to get it before the end of the month and they said well just so you not know. late but not getting late. close to late right because for those of you who don't know... I mean, technically late, but they allow you, like, whatever, a 30-day something. Yeah. If you make a mortgage payment within 30 days, it's less than 30 days late. It after the due date. After the due date, it doesn't affect your credit score. It's after 30 days is when it counts as a late payment. So it's just internally that they look at you so you're fine credit score wise um, and so the banks then said uh, called me up and said well and this, this was um, so this was October of 08 so George Bush had just put in uh, 700 billion dollars in stimulus money and is that our $300 check? Is that our, <laughs> no, this is, a different, check? this is a different $300. This is just that was first. The theater was just to help the economy. That changed my life. Oh, 300 bucks is it? That's that's why I'm the man I am today. Is George Bush's $300? That is the reason we have to be here. <laughs> so, um, they said if you go past 30 days late, actually there's all these programs to help you because Bush just put 700 billion dollars in stimulus money. I said great. So I waited till I was after. 30 days late and they came back and said we're going to put you on a forbearance which is a three month program we're going to cut your mortgage payment in half and and at the end of that three months we're going to restructure your loan so your, your monthly payments lower keep you in your home because the whole plan was to keep everybody in their home or so we thought that's what you were told that's what I was told I think a lawyer told you that yep and then after the three months, they said, oh, you don't qualify. And now you're three months behind payments. Obama got put into office. That happened. I thought, oh, he's going to save the day. That's why I voted for him. That happened two more times the exact same way under Obama. Right? I so lawyers. three months, you only have to pay half at the end of the half. At the end of those three months, you owe us all those three months that you should have paid us retroactively. Yep. And that happened for basically nine months. Yep. Three times in nine months. So now they're like, so now there's this astronomical number that I'm back. And it, I couldn't get a straight answer. Ten grand on the website, eleven grand on the phone, twelve grand in a statement in the mail. It was nuts. It was nuts. Um, so then it was like, it was this number in 15, 20 grand. It was just an insurmountable number. I hired lawyers. Anyway, I lost my home, and then I found out later that One West Bank bought my mortgage. My mortgage was with IndyMac, and they bought it for about 30 to 40% of its value. Are they the ones that told you 
Indiemac did. They're the one that offered you this yes. three months of three times? Yeah. Um, and One West Bank, what they did is I was in a nice neighborhood. Wait, One West Indiemac, how do they relate? Are they this? One West bought these mortgages from Indiemac okay. at 30 cents on the dollar. One West at the time was run by Steve Mnuchin. Um, and I'll get into him. Oh, well, we're going to talk about him, yeah. Him and our, and our good friend Kamala Harris in a second. Um, so they bought my mortgage. So they they realized that if they kicked me out of my house, they could sell my condos if I, in a nice neighborhood by the beach in Los Angeles um, and make a profit. So that's what they did. They never restructured my loan. They never helped me out. They never did any of the things they said they were going to do. But Obama saved you. Yeah. Obama saved me, yeah. And this happened under... So the foreclosure happened right at the end of Bush. No. No. No, the, the, the process first started. started. I ended up in a 16-month battle. Uh, I foreclosed in March of 2010. Right. So Obama and had been in office, you know, what is that, 14 months? Yeah, and his uh, independent foreclosure or something. Review. something. Oh, so then I foreclosed in 2010, which was really gut-wrenching because that was going to be my retirement. Um, and uh, just to give you a frame, I bought that condo for $550,000, and it today is worth probably $1.3 to $1.5 million uh, nine years later. And then like a year and a half later, summer of 2012, I got this independent foreclosure review, and this was like, we're gonna, we're, we're, the Obama administration is investigating. Again, it's, it's, it's that whole narrative of Obama inherited it from Bush, which is true, but then he could have done so much more and he did not. Well, more implies that he did something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just let this happen. And this this happened to millions of people. Ten, you said 10 million, ten, yeah. pe not people, 10 million homes, 10 million families across the country. And you said something like, you said 60,000 homes in California, including 16,000 homes owned by senior citizens. But I wasn't sure if that means 60,000 homes total or 60,000 homes from IndyMac. The 60,000, that actually was the 60,000 homes from uh, One West Bank. From One West Bank, so not... Just bank. one bank in one state. 60,000 homes in California, yeah. 60,000 families, and 16,000 of those homes were owned by senior citizens. Senior citizens, kicked out on the street. And actually, I know one of the stories was like 27 cents. Yeah. She missed a 27, 29 cent payment. A senior citizen, 90-year-old woman, missed 27 cents on her payment, and they took her home. Yeah. It was it was crazy, and they found evidence that they were doing illegal stuff, robo signing, and all this with, and they could have prosecuted Steve Mnuchin, who was then the head of the CEO, uh, CEO of One West Bank. They could have prosecuted the Attorney General of the State of California at that time was Kamala Harris, who Steve Mnuchin had donated to her Attorney General campaign. Uh, after she did not prosecute him, he there was widespread misconduct. Yes. There was evidence of many, many crimes, and they suspected evidence of thousands of more crimes, and yep. she decided not. Didn't prosecute. Not just pro not prosecute, not even Didn't even pursue investigate. it. They didn't investigate. They had the evidence. They had thousands of documents. And nope. And then weird, uh, sh uh, she got a donation from Steve Mnuchin for her senatorial campaign, which she won and was currently a senator. So that's why I will never vote for Kamala Harris. Not to mention she protected pedophile priests as a Unless she's up against Trump. I mean, come on. Oh, oh, then blah, blah, blah. No, I will not vote for her if she is the Democratic nominee in any way, shape, or form. Um, I will vote third party. If the Democrats do that, I'll, I'll vote through third party. And, and unless she gives me back a $1.5 million condo by the beach, then I'll vote for her. Do you hear that, Kamala? You give me my house back, I'll, you'll get my vote. Well, you also said like you'll give him a discount if you can punch. Yeah, I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only give me a million dollars worth of real estate if I could punch Steve Mnuchin square in the face. And one. Kamala voted for him. Yes. To, to be. Yes. Treasury secretary. To be, to be nominated, she she voted for him to be treasury secretary. So if you go to cabinetvotes.org, you can see who voted. All the Democrats that voted for numerous Trump. So all this resist, resist. Cabinetvotes.org. Let the money. Let it speak for itself. And he, he bought his way out of a crime, and that's and what Kamala did. She locked brown people. All these up. innocent people, and you, and you say that that's who Kamala Harris is. She is a a 
As Caitlin Johnson said, a dream for the oligarchs. The ruling class would be so happy if Kamala was the president. She'd restore dignity. Her tweets would be dignified. She'd protect Roe v. Wade. She'd get us back in the Paris Agreement and the planet would be melting and burning while she uh, swam around in a pool of money that was given to her by uh, oligarch parasites like Steve Mnuchin. Thanks for watching. Go to patreon.com slash Graham Elwood, rockfin.com slash Graham Elwood. Like and subscribe and share my videos. I'm dependent upon you. I don't sit there. I don't have knee pads that I get down and uh, the greasy corporate overlords that run these two whorehouses called the Republican and Democratic parties. I'm actually dependent upon you folks because you're decent, moral, hardworking people that aren't goddamn soulless parasites like these maggots that are fighting over who's going to get to be the bigger parasite in that white mansion that is just a big you to anyone that's ever had a job for a living. Thanks for watching. Cabinetvotes.org. Let the money, let it speak for itself. And he, he bought his way out of a crime and, and it's, you know, all these innocent people. And you, and you say that you felt shame. Yes. A lot of people probably, you know, I should have rented sooner. I should have, yep. I should have I was, maybe was, not been so suckered by all these experts, but they're experts. So what are you supposed to do? An expert came to me and says, hey, we'll refinance your house and you can do this. And okay. I don't know. We'll get you lower interest rate. Interest free. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm not a. And, and, and then they try to, you know, the, the media, which is run by the banks and the corporations, then try to shame. Did I make a mistake or two in this process? Yeah. Yes, I did. But I was fucking lied to the whole way across. What am I supposed to do? Uh, what I'm, I'm, that's, oh, that's, that's really neoliberalism. Right. That's really neoliberalism at its heart, at its heart which is blame the individual for everything and only the individual can solve right. everything and you felt shame about it and and actually can you talk about how your wife at the time yeah so i was married at the time and I, I, as i said before like this bankruptcy and foreclosure didn't cause my divorce but it didn't help i mean there was other issues she was from another country and it was tough but i mean i was under enormous amounts of brazil oh okay I was under an enormous amount of stress. It was so hard, and I just felt like a complete failure. But she told you something really impactful at the end of this process. We're sitting, uh, we're sitting on the basically the front steps. Uh, we're sitting on our on the patio of my house that was gone. It was empty. The movers took it all, and I was waiting to do the cash for keys deal. And she said, you need to get loud about this. And I was like, I was like, yeah. At the time, I was just, I had just gone through a 16-month battle that I lost. I felt like I had just had my ass kicked. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But I, 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 that's, that stayed in my brain for a while. And when Jimmy Dore finally woke me up after the 16 election, and I came on his show, and he goes, hey, man, how's your condo by the beach? We hadn't seen each other in forever. And I was like, I lost it, and I told the story. And he goes, Graham, you got to tell this story. And you told it pretty soon after he told yeah. you to do that on one of his live shows? Well, he started – I told it probably a half a dozen times in the first seven, eight months because he, he would always force me to tell the story. And it was painful to tell, and I didn't like telling it initially, but then people would you come up. incredible feedback. Yeah. I got two, two main responses. Either that I had no idea. I thought everyone was saved. Holy shit. Or, yeah, that happened to me, or that happened to my dad, or my mom, or someone. Somebody knew. So. And Actually, the sequence, which we'll, we're going to talk about later, of when you were fired from that job because of your Twitter feed, did that happen before or after the, this part we are talking about now? It happened after. So, so I, it was like two years ago. It was summer of 17. So I started Political Vigilante in January 2nd of 2017. Um... Jimmy, so you were fired pretty soon after you started your channel then. Yep, six months into doing my channel. Okay, so this is what I want to ask, and we're going to get into the political vigilante stuff later, but I don't understand the sequence of, actually not, not so much a sequence, but how much did this experience with your foreclosure and you have to get loud, how much did that feed into your getting truthful? You're, you're not, you know, you know, saying screw it, I'm telling the truth, you, you know, you're not vulgar, but you, you put the truth on your, on your Twitter feed, and I'm wondering how much your wife's telling you you need to get loud influence that. The experience with the foreclosure influenced that. It influenced it a lot. It took a, it took a couple of years, obviously, for it to actually sink in, but then 
I started to see Obama like ramping up the wars and drone striking people. I'm like, this ain't right. But I was like, oh, I can't criticize him, or because I'm, you know, I voted for him or whatever, which I think is ridiculous. I think you should be more critical of the people you vote for when they get elected, because you you elected them, you helped them deliberate the promise to you. You voted for them because they said they were going to do A, B, and C, and if they don't do it, you need to call them out. Um, and so when the 16 election happened, and I was like, I was kind of mad at myself. I was like, I didn't speak up enough. I didn't speak up enough about my foreclosure. I didn't speak up enough about these ridiculous wars. I didn't speak up enough about the DNC cheating in their own primary. I said, I'm done. How I, much were you involved with Bernie at that point? Were not you that much? Kind did, of, you, did you support him? I thought you voted for him. Yep. Yeah. But you weren't like active in the campaign. I wasn't or, active or in the talking campaign. Talking about him. I was talking about him a little. I liked him. Um, I just, yeah, I was like, I'm not voting for the Clintons ever again. So I was like, I like Bernie. And when he when he lost the nomination, and I started to see like, I'm like, wait a minute, there's states that he won, but the super delegates gave their votes to. Hillary, that ain't right. It was like, I wasn't like following it, you know, every day. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Thank you, you. sir. Um, and so, it was kind of all these things started to kind of add up. And Interesting. Then, so, so just very briefly, I actually am surprised to hear that you weren't not active, but that like how aware of how much did you like him how much were you aware of Bernie like were you I, I you know um, at, in the 16 election in the 16 I you know at first I was like ah this old guy I don't know and then somebody said man go to his website read his policies and I was like oh wow these are policies I agree with I didn't know much about him he's some crazy old socialist hippie from Vermont or whatever and then I was like well these policies I like and then I was just watching Hillary go I'm not Trump I'm not Trump that was her whole campaign I was like okay so I, I discovered him in August of 15 mm -hmm. and he like I very quickly became totally heavy just like an MMT um, so when did you like you saw his policies were good in 2016 but at what point did you realize not just that these good policies but he's actually going to do them because oh yeah. When did it hit you that he was really the real? When deal? I started watching like some of his rallies and his speeches and what he was saying, I was like, "What? Wow!" And I was like, well, "Who's going to his rallies?" And I realized it just shattered all of the identity politics. The people that were at his rallies were everybody. And this was still 16. This was still 16, and okay. I was like, "Okay." So I voted for him in the primary. And as much as I did not like Trump or his campaign, I could not vote for Hillary Clinton. And I lived in California, and I went, you know, maybe had I lived in a swing state, I might have voted for her. I don't know. It's hard to go back in time, but I was like, I live in California. I'm voting for Jill Stein. I just said, that's it. I'm, no one can say I, I don't want a woman to be president. <laughs> I just, and, and that was that, and I was so like... I felt just like I gotta do something. This whole system is broken that allowed Trump to happen. I don't like this guy, but I was a kid in the 80s when David Duke ran. David Duke never got close. He was a joke, and that's what Trump should have been. But he never, I mean, so he is now going to be president. And I was like, no, I gotta do something. And that's when I, I was on Jimmy's show, like late November, early December of 16. And he, we talked a lot after the after during the show, obviously, but after we had this really great conversation, and then we had a phone call, and he's in the phone call. He goes, Graham, I, I think about maybe I'm going to do a YouTube channel. He goes, Graham, people are hungry for a guy like you. And I went, okay. So Christmas Eve of 2016, I went to Best Buy and I bought a tripod for my iPhone, and I started, I set it up on like game like board game boxes and I would sit at my kitchen table and read the LA Times that's cool that's how it started cool. I had 164 so, subscribers so you're, you're I mean I don't know how I originally heard of you but, but what struck me at the beginning of was that you were fired but what made me a fan was the rant um, the one I can remember I just did recently was I was just like talking about all these wars I said 
I was like, Putin didn't steal my house, Maduro didn't steal my house, Iran didn't steal my house, Venezuela didn't steal my house, Iraq didn't steal my house. I listed all the countries where we um, Let's get from your foreclosure into the politics that underlies it with Kamala and, and Mnuchin, you know, criminals become Treasury Secretary. and well, That was the other thing, too, you know, when I was looking at there's a great uh, documentary called Inside Job about the 2008 meltdown. One of the things it pointed out, it's narrated by Matt Damon, it showed there's no difference between the two parties. It showed that Goldman Sachs has been in every major, has, has been in every presidential cabinet since Reagan. And these Bernanke and these same, these same handful of guys have floated around in Washington dictating policy. And I was like, wow. And then that, that leaked memo that showed... Um, the banks chose Obama's the cabinet. The bank chose Obama's cabinet. Mm. And then when I saw Trump lining up his cabinet, I went, oh, business as usual. He's not going to drain the swamp. You know? And it was like, I really had to wait. I was like, I can't sit there and just yell at the Republicans. That's nonsense. Then I'm just playing their game. They want us divided, red state, blue state. They want us divided like that. So I just started to say, I'm going to go after the whole system and show how corrupt it is and follow the money. The money, money never lies. The money never lies. <laughs> um, so you're about to become, I don't, know, I don't know what the term is called, but your bankruptcy is about to end, finally. Yes. Right? December. And that's the only thing? There, is there... Is there anything else that's... The foreclosure came off after seven years. The bankruptcy is nine. Okay. So you're about to be free again. Yep. Finally. So what is, does that mean anything particular? Well, it's I can't afford to buy anything in L.A. County. The home prices are through the roof. Uh, sadly, the only way I will be able to afford is if there's another recession, and I'm working during that recession. That's like... So I got to hope for a recession to buy. I, I, you know, my YouTube channel is, is really grown, especially in the last six weeks or so, which has been great. And, you know, you got to hustle like any small business owner to find as many revenue streams as you can. But I wonder about that. You know, when, when, it's not if. It's not me saying this. It's every econ economist in the world is like... I mean, it's obvious. There's so many... Bubbles. I, I mean, I, yeah... There's so much pressure in so many areas, let alone climate change, mm -hmm. that something has to get somewhere. Someone's got to give. <clears throat> and I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't want it to happen, but it's 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 going to happen. It is going to happen, and maybe the recession is when everyone will like really wake up and really resist and really force a progressive policy, force a green new deal. I don't know, man. It's 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 pretty gnarly to think about, but. So, can you say that you've been a comedian for a while? You hosted this uh, pretty silly show. Strip poker, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? If you're going to do strip poker, I mean, just do strip poker. But no. Um, <laughs> um, basic cable. <laughs> um, I'd like to. I'd like to know your transition from being. This is not really accurate, but just to very roughly say this, a safe comedian to being a truthful comedian, oh, a more yeah. genuine comedian now, how your foreclosure affected it. And, I mean, you said on, I believe it was Kim Iverson, you know, you well-known comics are saying, I wish I could say that. Actually, Nina Turner just told Steph Zamorano, oh, Jimmy Dore, he says so many things I wish I could say. Yeah. This is really cool. So your transition and how it was affected by your foreclosure and your Twitter timeline and being fired and all that. Well, it was like the foreclosure and everything, but really, like, once I decided to do this YouTube channel, I was like, I'm going to say what I want to say. And I was like looking at it, and Jimmy was very encouraging, and he would have me on his show. And then he started doing more live shows in 2017. Which are the greatest. So well. The so first well one I did was at Flappers in Burbank on a Monday and he sold it out and you gotta understand selling tickets in LA as a comedian is the hardest market to sell in because on any given night there's 30 you go to the comedy store it's Joe Rogan it's Mark Maron it's Bill Burr it's the so it's so hard to sell tickets in LA like it's the hardest market to sell in and he sold 200 and some tickets on a Monday goddamn night and I was like and I he, he said he really hit he's really got a lane and because 
the powerful are not interested in that particular lane, he's really got it. So it they either need to shut it down because they're not going to bring more people to do what right. he's doing. It's and I so the first time I did and I've done shows, I've gotten standing ovations in front of twelve hundred seat theaters and I've I've had the big applause and the big laughs. I know what that is, and that's that's awesome. It's 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 cool. But the first time I was on panel for a live Jimmy Dore show, I got off stage and I looked to Steph and I've known Steph and Jimmy for years. And I was like, Holy sh that was electric. I go, it wasn't just a hot crowd. No, it's not the comedy. It's the, it's the righteous anger. Yes. It's the it's the, the letting off the steam that nowhere else lets you let off. And 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 a room because you know as a progressive and especially I'm sure as someone that's in the MMT you feel like a outsider. You feel oh, like yeah. a lone wolf. People talk to you like you're some ham radio operator talking about Area 51 or something. <laughs> like, you know, like you're just nuts. And you're in a room full of people that feel that way, and now they're all accepted. You know what this reminds me of? I was a DNC delegate. Um, that's where Citizens Media TV started. Um, did live streams for that. But 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 the most impactful moment of that whole week was we were across the street at a park, and there were all these supporters, Bernie Sanders supporters, and you know we were treated really badly in in the convention. And so on Wednesday night we all just said screw it, we're not going tonight bunch of bunch of delegates for Bernie. And we went to the park. And you know, there's this huge chain I mean enormous, not even chain. They bought these monster gates to block everybody out and it was really crazy. So we went to this park and there was like a good three hundred people or something and there was just crying tears and it was just so it was amazing it was just so beautiful we were celebrities on stage for the best reasons because they were there to support us in our fight and our suffering for Bernie in the building and there was just tears everywhere and we were talking on the on the lawn for like two hours straight and it was a community of people who were suffering the same kind of suffering together and I feel like that's what 2016 gave us, is we found our community, and we didn't really do what we could have done, but we found each other. And now we're starting to you know, focus that towards actually doing something. I think that's a great point, and I think it's seeing like the people are more focused for Bernie and stuff, and Tulsi, and, and feeling like we can't let him screw us again. And I think that, that made... That's a that's a huge point that getting the progressives together, and I say this when Ron Placone and I did a progressive comedy tour. I say, look, you come to when that's just a stand-up show. I go, you come alone, but you leave part of, of the progressive community in your town. It's why, like you, you came out to our shows in Philly, and I said, hand out info on MMT because some people are like, what's this MMT? I've heard Graham talk about it, or what is? And so, and so that was that's the whole point. So to your question of when it started to. So I started being on Jimmy a lot and doing my own show and I'm like making jokes on Jimmy's panel or when I'm in his studio and I'm making jokes when I'm doing my own videos for Political Vigilante and I'm starting, some of them I go, this is just the brain of a stand-up comic, I'm like, holy shit, man, that could go in the act. Like, that little sarcastic comment, that needs to go in the act. So I started... How much of your comedy before that point was based on truth? Like your comedy now and Jimmy and all that is based on truth, which is an infinite well of it was, it was material, always, it was you know? It was based on truth, but just like personal experience, stories. It wasn't like political and social commentary. I was, a, I'd like to think a decent comic. I've always been a good joke writer. I've always been good on stage. But focusing the material on, and I had little bits about social commentary. I had little things about, um, you know, politics here and there. Um, but I was never a political comedian. So I, I think it's safe to say that... Now I am. And yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say that Jimmy Dore probably is a huge influence on not just you, but oh, quite, sure. a, quite a lot of people. Because, and when I started to... So, so I was like, wow, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And there was plenty of times when I was doing Political Vigilante, I'm like, am I nuts? Just talking into my phone in my apartment, like making these videos that at the time 100 people would watch. <sighs> And then, and then, I was offered this job in traditional media because I used to host game shows, and I have a movie review podcast called. How long were you in the political vigilante at this point? Six months. Okay. 
and a guy saw me at uh, one of the big clubs in Hollywood, a producer that I had kind of known years before, and I was kind of basically hired right on the spot. He's like, Graham, we're doing a movie review game show. You've done game shows. I have a, I have a book that I co-wrote, Comedy Film Nerd Guide to Movies, so I know I have a film degree. And, and I was like, well, this is the two perfect worlds. And I was only six months into doing The Vigilante, so I was like, okay. And he goes, we're going to do this pilot, and it's going to be, we're going to premiere it at San Diego Comic-Con, which is like, that's the epicenter of show business. This is television show. It was going to be like a pilot, but it was eventually going to be an online series. And so it had, a, it had the potential of being a big thing, and it would have driven viewers into my movie podcast, Comedy Film Riz, which, would, which has, has been established. It's been At that point, it had been around seven years, eight years. And so it was like, this could be big. And again, I was just hired because I'd done over 300 episodes of TV. And I was helping with the producer in the process. We were about three, four weeks into the process of shaping what the show was going to be. And I said, you know, it could be like this. and Because I've produced so... And then he calls me up one day and he goes, hey, man, I could hear it in his voice. And I was like, oh, what? And he goes, look, you know, there's been a lot of... Somebody was critical. Some movie reviewer on this big movie review website, which is owned by one of the six major multinational conglomerates that controls all media. And you know, Graham. So this one guy. There's some big, some, some other. Somebody wrote something, and there was a big blowback. So they're just like, no politics. It was like a company-wide policy. And he, they checked my Twitter feed, and I had been critical, not of Trump, but of state California state Democrats that had just um, Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon that just killed single-payer health care in the state of California. Even though they have a supermajority. Yes. Democrats could have just made it happen. I could have it right now. And they killed it because the healthcare lobby spends money on both parties. And and all my Twitter feed was calling out Anthony Rendon. I didn't swear. I was like, Anthony Rendon, nothing. It was just like, here's California Democrats selling us out again, basically just calling them out on it. And so um, I got fired and I had to make the decision. Because I was like, if I keep doing this vigilante, this political stuff, there's a good chance I'm not going to get hired by traditional media anymore. What do I do? And it was like, make a video. Make a video about it. And I made the decision. I was so mad. I didn't name any names. I didn't want to sell out my producer friend because he was just... We critiqued it as a movie and the problems we had with it structurally as a movie, but we also talked about the politics of Afghanistan and how we're glad that movie was made. You know, I'm going to nitpick a film because I watch too many movies, you know, (laughs) but I just want you guys to know that thinking maybe I should get rid of this so I can get more traditional media jobs, that thought uh, was in my brain and now it's out. I am not going to stop doing this show. I am not going to make my Twitter feed more palatable for a mega corporation that wants me to just talk about I don't mind there's not as as Chris Hedges said there's nothing wrong with frivolous entertainment there's nothing wrong with having talking about movies and action I love Guardians of the Galaxy I love Wonder Woman there's nothing wrong with those movies the problem is is when frivolous art is blocking entry from real art and real commentary and real social and political Voices. That's what art should be. Art should be about challenging people. People like Bertolt Brecht challenged art. They challenged Hitler. <laughs> there were, you know, and so um, it was art that was socialist. It's talking about the people. So I'm not backing down at all. And it means I will not probably be hired. I'm not going to be hired by big networks because I'm not Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. They're nice, they're palatable. Or even Seth Meyers, who says a little bit of political stuff, but it's neoliberal political shit that still ultimately serves the corporate thing. You know, that's what I'm going to talk about. So I'm not backing down, but I do need your guys' help. Go to the Patreon link below and support the show so I can do more of this, because this is going to need to be my sole source of income. I would love for it to be. It isn't right now. It needs to be. 
the minute that it is, or kids even close to it, the more I can do with this show. Then I can get a screen and a laptop and start having interviews with people and I can spend all my time on this because I have to spend time trying to go get jobs talking about movies at goddamn Comic-Con to keep the lights on in this place. But I, I can't play their game and they've told me I'm not allowed. They're, they're shunning me. So Google has tried to demonetize this show when we talk about war and the corporate war machine. As George Carlin said, America is an oil company with an army and I'm gonna keep saying shit like that and so is my Twitter feed. And I'll still talk about movies at Comedy Film Nerds, but I wanna do this more. So the Patreon link's below. You can support this show for as little as a dollar a month. So these corporate assholes are not going to beat me. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not gonna make my Twitter feed uh, family friendly. I'm not gonna just be, at, at best, a, some neoliberal resist, hashtag resist. Well, no, I'm gonna resist everything. I'm gonna resist the one corporate party that has two wings in it, the Republican and Democratic wing of the giant corporation. So thank you guys for watching this show and thank you for supporting me. I'm not going anywhere. It was like, make a video, make a video about it. And I made the decision. I was so mad. I didn't name any names. I didn't want to sell out my producer friend because he was just, he's a cog in a machine. It was, you know, I wasn't mad at him. And I told him, I said, I'm not mad at you, dude. And I just, I didn't name the name of the company as I still have it. And I just told my company. Just kidding. <laughs> I just told uh, I, uh, Citizens Media TV. Yeah. They fired me. <laughs> um, so uh, they. Um, I just did the video, and I just told I told my audience. I said, "Look, I'm not I'm not backing down. I got fired. I'm gonna keep doing this." And that was it. I was like, "That's it." Yeah, it's a good video. I'm going That's in. A good video. I'm like. You can't stop me. I'm not. I'm. I'm now. So this is how we're playing. Give my gloves are off. Let's go. So how many viewers did you have around that time? I don't know. I had a thousand, two thousand subscribers or something like that. Three thousand maybe. And this was around what month? This is July of 2017. July of 2017. I met you the year, pretty much, almost a year later. Yep. Yep. Then June, July of 18 is when you, you had were. about 10,000 at that time. Yes. And now I just crossed 52,000. Thanks to me, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Your namesake. Thank God. Thank God it's not actually I you. am the non-pedophile, non-billionaire, non-dead <laughs> Jeff dead. Epstein. No, that's good. Uh, but but it's because of these, these uh, yeah. I would say, six or something. Six or seven. Very substantial videos. I, I don't think they're sensational. I think they're, they're oh, factual you. about a sensational story, but yeah. they're relatively factual about those. And again, I'm trying to cover the stuff that mainstream media isn't doing, and, and I've had amazing... I interviewed my friend, uh, Eric Goldenberg, who used to be a child crimes investigator. Mm. That's an interview you need to watch. Which, which one is that? I, did, I think the title is like Child Crimes Investigator Sheds Light on Epstein Case. Mm. And man, that is a pretty powerful, because he, he... I mean, that's... He, he investigated child pornography and I mean he investigated all this stuff so he he it's it's and then I've done two interviews with Whitney Webb oh forgive me an aside this actually you're reminding me of something it does not have to do with what you're saying but you upset your viewers recently so I have a question for you <laughs> which time which is a lot of what do you mean sorted or sorted <laughs> Typo or misunderstanding? I'm Discuss. Su I'm such a jackass. Oh yeah, I posted my um, my video of me hosting game shows, and I just the title was sort of a joke, but I said my I wanted to write my sorted history of hosting my history or my my ho sorted Hollywood history hosting game shows or something like that, and I put sorted S O R T I D, <laughs> and I didn't realize it. Was it? It was genuinely just a typo or? Or did you actually I can't, bl I can't blame autocorrect. I just <laughs> felt I, I wish I could blame autocorrect. <laughs> okay. But I was like, and then because I saw your I saw your pins comment. I know, and it's like all of these responses. As soon as I did that, <laughs> Twitter blew up. I, I, I noticed it myself as well, but I saw all these comments. All these people were like, "Graham, it's sordid, S-O-R-D-I-D," and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> And I was like, what did I write? And I was like, oh, I wrote sorted, like I needed to sort my mail. So I wrote, and I redid the title, um, 
on YouTube. But it doesn't change on Twitter. It doesn't change on Twitter, yeah. and it was and it's burned into the video. And I was like, I'm not redoing the whole fucking video. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a goddamn. So I just put it all caps because every other comment was just sorted, sorted, sorted. Like, oh, really fuck. Really I was like, that was so hilarious. I was like, yeah, um, what do you want from me? Okay, so so when we met, you had about ten thousand views. So when you were fired, you had about a few thousand. When we met in June of the end of June in 2018, you had about 10,000. Um, and actually, I, I love the fact that we met the day after AOCB Crowley, yep. which was really cool. Which was great. Um, so we discussed MMT, which is my thing. A year later, we did like an anniversary video, and you had a good 21,000 or something like that. And then now it's like six weeks later or something, and now you're yeah. over 50,000 because of Jeff Epstein. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually... Again, I know you weren't safe per se, but just to say it easily, from transitioning from safe to, to. So I made the decision after I got fired, and I did that video in July of 17, saying that's it, I'm done. And then I just doubled down on on doing uh, political vigilante, and then I actually got hired to direct a TV series, a Native American stand-up series, um, first of its kind. It's actually now on Amazon Prime. It's called First Nations Comedy Experience, and that was an amazing experience. And I really fell back in love with stand-up because I'd gotten a little burnt out on it. And because, look, the corporate media also controls entertainment. So, again, and I had just been fired, and I'm watching comedians in L.A., funny comedians, good joke writers, real solid acts, some very big names, and they're being safe. They have one or two Trump jokes. That's the it. They're not calling yeah, it's out. A, it's a it. particular shame is, like, well, John Stewart actually was great the whole way through, mm -hmm. but um, the one who was also on Comedy Central, he was a safe person. Yeah. yeah, he was awesome, and now all of a sudden... Now, look at him. That's, <clears> that's <throat> like, oh. And now he's pushing State Department talking points when he interviews Tulsi Gabbard about Assad, calling her an Assad apologist. I was just like, wow. And I was like... Yeah, and, and uh, John Oliver. John Oliver. He's a shame, because he's so talented. Yeah, he's done... He did some great... He did a great video about the drones when Obama was in office. It was really well written. It's funny. And I knew one of the writers on that show, and I was like, man, this is great work you guys are doing. But then you just see how... The corporate media sits you down, and they either buy you or they—they they either buy you or they shame you, you know. And they, you know, there's probably just—it's not a big threat. They're just like, uh, maybe don't do that story, or sponsors might not like that one, or yeah, Time Warner is our owner, and so let's steer away, you know, just little subtle. So I just was like, and when I after after the losing the film gig and made the decision I'm going to double down on this, I was like, well then this is what I'm going to do. And then doing this Native American stand-up series, man, these Native comics, such amazing social comment. They got shit to say, yeah. you know, they've gone through stuff and they everything yeah, progressive stuff. Is. Oh, <clears throat> it's crazy. And like, I mean, and you think you understand. I thought I'm pretty well-rounded. I know a lot. Uh, man, I learned so much about Native culture, about life on the reservation, and all the stereotypes that they got to deal with. And I was like, man, these comics, and so many of them, because it was on public broadcasting, I was like, every episode, I'd be in the edit room and I'd go to the editor. That would never make it on corporate TV. Hmm. And so I was like... That's great. And so you're, it's not just you, you're actually... Meeting other people meeting the other similar comics that are just calling stuff out. There's really not, it, like I met the people at the DNC, and you're meeting mm -hmm. comics now in the same kind of. And then way. I'm being turned on to this progressive world. And I'm, you and Ron have really created your own yes. career. I met actually Ron. a way to make money, yes. a way to make money in this underworld, basically. Well, that's part of it too. Is then so then a year less than a year later, ten months later, Ron and I start saying, let's do. A, some fan on his show during his live chat said, you guys should do a progressive comedy tour, and we did the first one in May of eighteen, and we were like, oh, here we go. We did Vegas, and that was eye opening. There's all these like little eye opening moments. So I made the decision. I was writing more political stuff. I was writing political stuff because I was emceeing the native show, so I had to come up with new material for each episode and I'm being on Jimmy's show more so I'm just like and I'm getting turned on to people like Lee Camp and I'm Abby Martin and just people that are like damn these people are activists they're badasses mm -hmm. and then Ron and I did our first ever progressive tour and the people that came out were like so fired up for us I, I love how you say progressive heckling is 
you know, actually correct yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> That's just helpful. <laughs> All right, so let me ask uh, two last questions. Two last questions. One is progressive journalists, comedians, um, politicians, if they're real. I mean, everyone needs to beg for money, everyone. But it's who you beg, and you're begging regular people. Mm-hmm. So you can now sort of pay your bills. Yes. You can pay your bills now. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about how you're making a career out of actually being supported by people. And then... Um, well, that's a great thing. And it, it, it goes to... It all kind of feeds into itself because, you know, I saw what Jimmy was doing. And Jimmy and Steph have been so helpful and so like, look, we did this, Graham, and you should do that. And they give me tips and advice and how to make my channel better, get better lighting, get a better microphone, all this stuff. And I've slowly, you know, when I have the money, I, I've upgraded my production value and thumbnails and all these little tweaks. And I saw, like, how Jimmy's business model. And, and when I did some a show with him last July of 18, we went to Chicago for the first time and sold out Thalia Hall. 600 seats. Jimmy Dore Live. Show. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Dore Live. And that, Jimmy and I are both from Chicago. That's why I know him. And I was like, dude, I told him, I go, you won. He goes, what do you mean? I go, you don't have to answer to anybody. You don't need an agent or a manager or you don't need to go do all those hoops we have to jump through as comedians. Get on Conan O'Brien or get on Jimmy Fallon or get on... Nah, man. You just... And and I go, you sold out a 600-seat theater because of your views on YouTube and you're just being authentic and true to who you are and you're speaking the truth. So just speaking all that truth and I just saw all this stuff. So I just I just worked and leaned into it hard and directing that native show was helpful. I was able to hire a producer for a little bit. And and I was starting to, you know, I was at 10, 12,000 subscribers and starting to see some money. And I was like, I'm going to just lean into this hard. And Will you still be excited to an extent, even though you were starting to speak the truth? No. No, I was not being safe. I was not being safe. I was like, I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to keep saying what I'm saying but I'm going to just put more effort into the whole process and promoting it. And and then Ron and I started doing the progressive tour, which was really cool because then you meet people and it's that thing we talked about. Then there's this community of people like, oh, my God. And we uh, we had the stripper pole version, which was – Yeah, in Philadelphia. Right this which, made, which made some people very happy. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too. It was, like, it's, it was a great show. It was a, it was a really show. And my wife is not – you know, she gets it through me, but she's not, you know, she doesn't really focus on it. And she enjoyed it as well. So it appealed to even someone. Well, that's the cool thing, too, is the progressive tours and the live Jimmy Dore shows. There's always somebody who's like a diehard fan who brings someone that isn't that into it. And that person is always, It's so truthful. You wake it's up, It's just man. universal. You can't it's just, fight it. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. So, it's so great. And so then it's like Ron and I are figuring out... You know, Ron and I can't sell 600 tickets like Jimmy, but we can we can do a hundred. You know, hundred. We're finding these like cool little venues, like the place we did in Philly, yeah. and Raven Lounge. Yes, non-traditional venues, and it fits our whole brand. Mm-hmm. And and it, even though it's a hundred or whatever, it's, yeah. it's paying the bills. It's paying. It's the making bills. it worth traveling around. Yep, it's paying all our travel expenses, and and we're making a little profit, so we can keep doing this. And the keep. It's just it's so creatively and artistically fulfilling that run in June we did that East Coast run we did DC Baltimore and Philly New York New York and Boston and you saw Jill Stein in Boston which was cool I met Jill Stein in Boston I mean the New York City show was on a Monday night they had to move us from they had an 80 seat room and we sold it out so they moved us to a bigger room to sell more tickets on a Monday night and then the crowds are just every ethnicity under the sun every type of person every age group Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just a bunch of millennial burn bros. It's like Ruth Benedict is a baby boomer. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. Yeah, actually, it was a very it was a rather diverse crowd. It's so amazing. All right, so I know you have to go. Let me ask you one last question, if I may, which is, you are starting to have success mm-hmm. beyond just being able to pay the bills, especially with, um, you know, you've exploded in the past couple of months mm-hmm. um, with the Jeffrey Epstein videos. So, one thing I really like about you is. I think it's really important, and I think you do it particularly well, is keeping in touch with your fans. Even though you have a lot of fans, you're keeping in touch with people, number one, through your Super Chat, which is very significant, but especially through your interviews, because you simply can't know what 
those people are going to tell you. Right. So you're really opening yourself up. I think that's great. Um, but I'm wondering how, what concerns you have regarding success. What what uh, like for the, the reason I'm thinking of this, and I don't see this happening, but I see this. I have seen this with other shows, such as Dr. Phil. I really, my wife and I really liked Dr. Phil when he first was on Oprah. I mean, like, he was amazing. Mm -hmm. And his show at the beginning was good, but then he just turned into Sally Jesse Raphael after a while, you know, and played it safe and catered to the lowest common denominator, and and your audience has exploded. And they don't, they didn't come in, oh, I love all of his material, they came in because of Jeffrey Epstein. Mm -hmm. So what... So what concerns do you have of remaining successful, of, of enhancing your success, but remaining true to who you are? Well, the, the difference is Phil, Dr. Phil did traditional media, so he had sponsors and a network and all that other stuff. I am doing what I say, what I want to do, how I want to do it. You know, I've interviewed people that I got, I interviewed Peter Frederick, who was a big very critical of Hindutva, Hindu nationalism, and Tulsi Gabbard's oh, ties. I heard about it. Very, very critical of Tulsi Gabbard's ties to them. Huh? I like, there's a lot about Tulsi. I like, I took a ton of shit for that. Mm. I didn't care. Because mm. I'm not going to blindly follow anybody. Yeah, even Bernie's not perfect. Nope. And I... And I even even get in there. Yeah, go ahead. You know, so, so that's who I want to interview. Like... Look, these Epstein videos, every time I do find new information, they do really well view-wise. I'll be quite honest with you, my, my videos on climate change or climate collapse, they don't always do that great. I'm going to keep doing them because they're important to me. Because if you don't exist, you can't do Jeffrey Epstein videos. <laughs> exactly. So it's like I, 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 I'm going to just keep doing what I, I'm, I'm all about the truth, man. That's all I want. And the, the beauty of the digital YouTube model and Patreon and Rockfin and all these other is I don't have one, I don't have Pepsi coming to me telling me, I, I, I don't say this, don't say that. I have. So even if YouTube totally fails, you have options. I've been already stacking them up. I, I put my videos on Rockfin, which is a blockchain cryptocurrency platform. That's a backup. If YouTube deplatforms me or Google buys out Patreon and whatever, like I'm, I, I don't want those things to happen, but I'm anticipating just keeping the message going. And there's been so many people that have supported me on Patreon and other platforms have come out to the live shows. I'm going to just keep talking about what I want to talk about because the difference is the bigger you get with a YouTube platform, the more freedom you have. You know, the more you can. What got you that platform was your honesty and your truth and your you're being completely authentic. So I'm gonna keep doing it. and I love that. I, I, this is the most like So this is your way of sort of attracting the people who are more interested in the more sensational Jeffrey Epstein story to well, more progressive issues. Kind of. I, and I don't mean to say that you're doing them sensationally. It just is a sensational story. I, the, the, well, yeah, I didn't just like, oh, this will get a lot of views. I was just, the Epstein case is so disturbing to me, and it shows the atrocities of the ruling class. This is both parties. billionaire, both parties. It's the whole planet. It's it's corporations. It's the, Like Saudi princes and oh, stuff. Oh, God. It's the royal family. It's awful. It's everything that's wrong. Because I was like, I don't want to just chase some, like, some like Monica Lewinsky kind of ridiculous thing like I want to change like this is something and I saw the way they were lying to us about it so I'm like I'm going after this and I think it's important so I'm not just chasing down Epstein videos to get a lot of views I'm doing it because this is this That's is interesting. it's it's and it's, and got it's connected it, yes tangentially connected to everything I've been talking about. Yeah. the truth calling out the ruling class and I will you know, and that's that's a great point. So I've done a lot of videos showing the Clinton connection to Jeffrey Epstein. It's brought over some Trump supporters, and they're like, Trump's innocent. I, and and Jimmy, like, I believe, has a significant amount of Trump supporters. And I say, I, I'm not going to – Trump's not going to get a free pass because I brought over some Trump supporters. So if there's Trump supporters watching, my, I tell them, I go, look, he's not he's not innocent. And I've, I just – my last interview with Whitney Webb was like, connected uh, uh, Roy Cohn and his ties to Epstein and how he's been Trump's mentor and there's more information I'm getting on this and so I'm not going to like it's not like I'm like uh oh I got to go easy on Trump now that his I, I my channel blew up with his supporters I'm not going to do that I'm going to do my stories my way 
I mean, and, well, it's working. It's working that. out for you. That's how it's going to shake out. And you have a lot of regular supporters now. And yeah, it's good. It's a great like progressive community. I say everyone who's on, I go, you're all political vigilantes, and you got to go for the truth, not the party aside, not the identity politics, not the. You got to go straight for the truth, even if it makes you uncomfortable. You got to go for it. Thank you for coming. Yeah, man. I appreciate you talking, sure. and uh, thank you for allowing me to, you know, yeah, dude. to introduce NNT to you and your audience, and it's been really special. Thanks, man. So. I appreciate it. You've opened me up, so it's great. All right. See you later. Find Rec Tech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. Thank you for listening to the show. See you next time on Historically.